Yo, 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 what up, everybody? It's your boy, J-Law. This is Keeping It Real with Jared Lawrence. We're doing things a little differently tonight. I'm calling this a cold open because I had just recorded a whole episode, which I'm still going to play for you guys, but I played some unreleased Mac Miller to start that off. And then uh, I went to upload some video on my Insta story and I was playing the open of the show. And guess what? Yeah. If you guessed that Warner Music flagged me and wouldn't let the music upload on my Insta story, you are correct. So basically, I had to go and edit, take the song off. I'm doing this cold open as the new open for the show. Some of y'all might like it. Um, if you don't like me playing music to start the show off, I'm sure you'll appreciate this. If you guys did enjoy the music, um, let me know. Let me know. I'm I'm the type that likes to play music to start the show because it gets me into a little groove and it kind of sets the mood. But I didn't want to put another song on because I started talking about Mac Miller. So I, I wanted to keep it 100 on this one. Letting y'all know what happened. I will never play any unreleased Mac Miller again. And you know, I understand why I got flagged. Uh, the family probably doesn't want that music out there yet. I got it. And I'm still going to buy it whenever it comes out. But I was, you know, it was a it was a dope song too. I will say that. It was a super dope song and I think you guys would have enjoyed it. But nevertheless, this is the cold open of Keeping It Real with Jared Lawrence. Now let's get back to the show. I was on a journey a few weeks ago where I was like trying to find as much unreleased old Mac Miller songs as I could. So I spent like probably a whole night just searching on the internet until I could find all of the Mac Miller songs that were available because I could not, I couldn't get enough of what I had like of, of his music and what was already out there wasn't enough for me. So I wanted to find every little scrap, every song, every idea that was out there. And I know that his family probably has so much more of his music that's unreleased that they're probably, they're probably going to release at some point over the years. But I just wanted to make sure I got what was already out there. So I searched and searched and found some sites where you could get stuff. And a lot of them are like mixtape songs, not actual like album cuts. Because I've bought all the Mac Miller albums. I've owned every album that he has. I Not just like digitally. I've bought the actual CDs. Because as, as you guys know, I am, uh, I don't want to call myself like washed or old head or whatever. But I don't really believe in having just the digital. Because... The digital at some point is going to go like you guys are going to lose your files at some point. And you're not going to have anything to show for it. So I always want to have the physical copy just in case I have to go back and put the music back on my phone again. And you guys who do the streaming, don't even talk to me about it. you, you people, because you are the most. Um, I don't want to say I don't want right, to. I don't want to offend anybody. You guys are the most delusional people out there because you are always talking to me about I'm a dinosaur because I have all these CDs and I'm like, look, what are you going to do the, the month you don't pay your 1099? Huh? Yeah. Your music's gone. So yeah, you might have access to thousands and millions of songs on Apple music and uh, Spotify and all these other apps. But Hey, the minute you don't pay, it's gone. And I know Spotify is free. So yeah, you, you have all the music you want on there, but, I don't have to listen to commercials when I play my music. Do you? 
Ooh. <laughs> but keeping up with what I was saying, yeah, I got pretty much all the Mac Miller songs I could find. And I, it's just, it's so cool to go back and listen and discover new songs because I, I grew up like listening when I grew up, but when I was listening to them, I knew the radio cuts. I knew the popular stuff, but anybody who knows me, I'm more of a B side guy than the A side guy. And for those of you who don't know what an A side and a B side is, let me break it down. Cause there's nothing that I like talking about more than old school hip hop. So back in the days, you know, when records were coming out, they had what they called the A side and the B side. So the A side was your single. That was like the popular song, the hit. And then the B side was like kind of the underground song. The one that the so-called backpackers, I don't know if you guys know or are familiar with the term backpack rap, but those are like the people who like underground, underground music, conscious music. So the B side was normally like your underground, maybe more conscious song, something that wasn't going to be played on the radio. So when it comes to music, I'm always a guy who prefers the B side over the A side. Like I like my songs that are not as popular when they get too popular. I usually don't like them as much. I don't, I don't want to call myself fair weather, but I kind of like when it's something intimate where we, it's just like a small group of people who like that song. And then once the world knows it, it's not as fun to me anymore. So yeah, with that being said, I would encourage everybody to go listen to as much Mac Miller music as you can. And if you don't know anything about Mac Miller, go and uh, go on YouTube, search his music. If you have like Spotify or whatever, I'm sure there's plenty of playlists out there. YouTube has playlists. Uh, I'm sure Apple Music has them too. So I would encourage everybody to go out there and listen to some Mac Miller because to me, he is just an all-around talent. Uh, it's so I'm still sad that he's not here anymore, but he could sing. Like his, his newer albums is more him singing, and he makes great music. He played instruments, so you get a lot of that creativity and instrumentation on these albums. And then he's a great rapper. And I'm I'm probably more of a fan of his rapping than the singing, so I'm I'm trying to find more of the older songs with him rapping on them, and that's probably why I was on that search a couple weeks ago. But I found them, and I think I got pretty much everything that's out. I did read he's supposed to be doing an album. Well, he did an album with uh, Mad Lib, who's like a famous producer. He had the song, uh, the album with uh, what's his name, Freddie Gibbs, and then he also had an album back in the day with uh. What's, what's Buddy's name? Oh, my gosh. But the guy with the mask. Oh, MF Doom. He used to wear the mask. I don't know if you guys are familiar. This might be too nerdy for you right now. But, yeah, Mad Lib did albums with both of those guys. And backpackers, like, go crazy whenever you they hear something about a Mad Lib album. Oh, I also heard a rumor that Mad Lib is doing an album with Blackstar. And for those of you who don't know about Blackstar, that's Most Def and Talib Kweli. So if that rumor is true, that, yo, backpackers are going to lose their mind. That is a big deal if that's really true. Uh, I want to update you guys a little bit on my day, too. So I promised y'all a podcast today, and I, I had originally um, intended on doing it in the morning. I woke up at, what did I wake up at, 5? Yeah, I woke up at 5 a.m. today because I told you I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get towards this 3.30 mark that is, like, my goal for next week. So I woke up at 5, and I think the problem I'm finding out with waking up early and y'all let me know if you have this problem too. When I wake up super early like that and I have nothing to do, I just sit there bored and I don't know what I want to like I'm 
I think that's when I'm fighting the sleep and not going back to sleep. I'm just sitting there like, what do I do? Like, it was 5 a.m., Ricky Smiley morning show. I hadn't even started yet. I turned on the news for a little bit. They're talking about OBT is, like, blocked off because of something. It was just, I was bored, man. So I fought it, man. I fought it as hard as, as long as I could. And then Ricky, Ricky Smiley came on. I was listening to that. And then around the 7, I think it was about 7.45 a.m., I still hadn't done anything. I, th- I had brushed my teeth. I did that, and I washed my face. So that was pretty much that was all that was accomplished in those first two, and, two hours and 45 minutes of me being up. And I was so tired. And I didn't get coffee because I had to go get my tire. Um, I had to go get the GPS, not the GPS, the pressure thing on my tire uh, replaced because it was malfunctioning. So I had already told myself on the way there I was going to stop at Wawa and get coffee. Because that's like, when I, when I go to Orlando, that's like a big deal to me, stopping at Wawa and getting coffee. And I've had this conversation with uh, my cousin Kenya before on past episodes, and it's like, I don't even know if I like coffee as much as I like the idea of going to get coffee. It's just the routine, knowing you have something to look forward to, you're starting your day off right. So I just love going to get coffee and then kind of driving. I have the coffee in my hand, and I'm taking sips as I'm driving. Like I just love that whole process. The going in there, putting my hot chocolate in, putting the creamers in, like all of it. So I held off on the coffee this morning. I didn't go to McDonald's because I said, I'm going to wait till I go to Orlando and I'm going to get the coffee on the way to Orlando. So that's part of the reason I was fighting this sleep. And then finally, man, at 745, I gave in. And I was like, bro, I got to get a little bit of a nap in because I'm just not functioning right now. So I went back to sleep for about 45 minutes. I set my alarm because I still had to be up by 8.30, and I had to leave my house by uh, 8.45. So I go back to sleep, and I, I, I woke back up, and I felt a little bit more refreshed and charged, recharged or charged up, like Drake said. I'm charged up. I felt that. So finally, I was able to get out the house. I went and got my coffee, whatever, and I go to get the tire of pressure thing. The What is it called? It's called T, TPMS, I believe. But we call Oh, the sensor. That's what it's called. I finally went to Discount Tire to get my sensor fixed. So I go there, and then they replace the sensor, and I pay like $63. It wasn't that bad. It's like one of those newer sensors where, you know, when you put the air in your tire and when you put the the air machine on the tire part, it's like a rubbery piece. So the new one I got is like metal now. So that thing doesn't even move. So it's more like secure and better. So I got that. And then I stopped at my mom's house to pick up some stuff, say hi to her, and I went back home. So on my way home, because it's like 30-minute drive, my tire light comes on, and it's like service tire soon. And I'm like, what the heck? I just serviced the freaking tire. So I'm like, what is going on? So I'm I'm already a little like frustrated at that because I just spent freaking 60 miles driving back and forth to Orlando, which is two, two gallons of gas, and my time, even though I had coffee, so that made up for it. And I had a muffin that didn't taste fresh, so I only ate half of it and threw it out. Uh, that's another rant. I, my, let me get that rant out the way real quick. So Wawa now, because of the coronavirus, before they would just have the muffins out and you just picked the one you wanted with the little, you get the little plastic wrap to put over it to cover it, and then you pick it up, put it in your bag. But because of the whole COVID-19 now, Wawa has these muffins already sealed in, like, a plastic wrapping. So I got one of the, it was the last banana nut muffin left. And that's like my favorite one there. So 
I grabbed the last one. And normally I'm the type of guy that won't take the last one because I'm always like questionable about how long it's been there or what, what's up with this. Why is nobody else out of it? So I don't like taking the last one. But I really wanted the banana nut and the muffin. So I took the last one. And then when I took it out the wrapper, I don't know. I, I took a bite of it and it didn't taste right. So now I like smelled it. Because you know you do the smell test. If it doesn't pass the smell test, you know, that's like a rule for everything. So I smelled it and I'm like, nah, this thing don't even smell like no damn muffin. I can't even tell. It wasn't a, it wasn't a good smell. But I was hungry. So I still ate like a few bites. And I got probably to halfway. And then finally I was just like, I, I can't eat this. It just is not going over well. It's not feeling right. I don't want to pay for this later. So I threw the rest out. I took the L on the muffin. Uh, I also had gotten two bananas while I was there. So I was like, all right, I'll just, I'll just ride out with these two bananas, man. That'd be enough for now. So yeah, I got the muffin or whatever. It didn't taste right. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I was on my way home. That's, that was the story. So I got the muffin, blah, blah. I'm on my way home. And then the light is on. So I'm like, all right, I got to freaking get this thing looked at now. So I already had an oil change appointment scheduled for 2 PM. And let me tell y'all how like messed up I am right now with this waking up early. I go to the, the Chevy dealership at 1 p.m. And I'm like, hey, I'm here for the 2 p.m. oil change. And the guy's looking at me like funny, like, uh, are you dropping it off early? And I'm like, no, I'm here. It's 2 o'clock. What are you doing? He's like, no, it's 1 o'clock. And I'm like, what? It's 1 o'clock? Mind you, I rushed getting there. I looked at the clock many times. I don't know why it didn't, uh, why it didn't ever, you know, appear, not, what's the word, appear? I forget the word. But why I didn't realize that it was two instead of one. So I, I'm like, damn, I'm like here an hour early. So I told him I'll come back. So I just went and drove around a little bit. I went to Target, bought a few things, uh, checked out what kind of tea they had because I'm like really into checking out tea now when I go to stores. So I did that. I went back, and then I get the car, the oil change, and I'm telling him about my tire. I'm like, can you look at it? So he comes to me, and he's like, Yo, there's something moving around in this tire. We're going to have to take it, uh, take it off and look at it. So I'm like, all right, whatever, do it. Just don't charge me for anything because I could go to discount and get it fixed free. So they take it off, and then they pull out this big plastic piece of something. I don't even know what it was. He's like, this was inside your tire. And I'm like, what? So apparently when I was at discount, they probably something got into the tire or they dropped something in. I don't know what the heck happened, but it was this big white piece of plastic something I was like bouncing around in my tire. I was probably messing up my uh, sensor and throwing it off. And yeah, that's, that's why everything happened like it did. So they did that. They fixed it. And now I think we're back to normal. We'll find out when I start driving uh, these long commutes on Monday. We'll find out if everything's back to normal. But y'all pray for me, man. Pray that everything's back to normal. Pray that I can uh, start getting up and getting my day started. Because it's only going to get worse from here. I don't know if I'm consistently going to have to work at 6 a.m. because there's like three different shifts you could work. I'm hoping I don't always have to do the early one, but I'm preparing. I'm preparing for the worst. So if I do, I do whatever. Um, after that, uh, oh, yeah. So I'm starting on Monday with that and I'm still trying to wake up early. So tomorrow I'm going to attempt to do I said 330. I think I'm going to push it to four. Just because I don't have to go all out yet. I'm still easing my way in. Sunday is the true test. Sunday is the 3.30 test. So I think tomorrow I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. Probably will get coffee around 5 or 6 a.m. And then my plan is to come back in here and do another podcast. 
because there's so many topics I want to talk about. And I just spent like 15 minutes right now talking about nothing. But that's pretty much what this podcast is about. Me talking about my life and how things go in it. So I plan on coming back early in the morning, giving you guys a podcast. If you're somehow up at like 7 or 8 a.m. You don't see one from me. Hey, text me and get on me. Like, What happened to the podcast? But the plan is to do it early because, like I said, I wake up super early and I have nothing to do and it makes me tired. So I got to do something with this time. I might do the podcast and then maybe I'll like go play basketball or something. I'm just like rearranging my whole life and getting used to new hours and resetting my body. I don't know if you guys have ever had to do that. But with all that being said, let me get to some topics. Um, I left off yesterday talking about the protests and everything. And I wanted to get to this, this Black Lives Matter topic. I think this is a big one. This is a very important topic. Uh, you, you see, if you're black, I think you probably know what Black Lives Matter means and why we say it. But for all the people who aren't black, some of them have some questions. I think a lot of people are starting to get it. There's some people who refuse to get it and don't want to get it. And then there's just some people who still don't understand why we say black lives matter instead of all lives matter. They have questions. Uh, I'm here to try to educate. I'm here to answer questions. If you guys have anything after I say any questions after I say everything, feel free to reach out to me. You can text me if you know me. If you don't hit me on the Twitter at J law radio, hit me on the gram at beyond the glory, any of that. I'm pretty accessible. Uh, as you can see with Facebook, too, if anybody's listening to this that has me on Facebook, you see I argue with people all day. I'm probably going to go back and argue some more on Facebook. Oh, before I get started on the Black Lives Matter, too. I know Dave Chappelle dropped his new comedy special today, and my plan was to watch that first and then come on here and do the podcast. But I was in such a rush because I want to get this podcast done, and I need to get in bed at a respectable hour. So, all right, now my new plan is to do this podcast with all these topics I already have. I'm going to watch the Dave Chappelle special tonight. I'm going to come back tomorrow morning and I'm going to discuss because that seems to be the thing everybody's talking about today. And I looked on YouTube and it already has like 4.6 million views. So if you guys haven't even heard about it, you need to watch it too. So when uh, you listen to this next episode, you'll know the stuff I'm talking about. So it's called 846 in uh, not an honor, but it's referencing the eight minutes and 46 seconds that that racist police officer, Derek Chauvin or Chauvin, whatever his name is, had his knee on um, George Floyd's neck. So everybody make sure you watch that. But back to the Black Lives Matter topic. So a lot of people want to know what it means. Basically, it's self-explanatory, but it's a little bit more complex. So yes, Black Lives Matter means that all of our lives matter as black people. Like, we want to be treated the same. We want you guys to see us as people. And when something happens, we want to get attention, awareness, justice, all of that. We want, we want the same energy you would keep if a white person died. Now, more specifically, and I think this is where things start to get a little confusing, because you'll have people who want to challenge you on it, who will be like, well, what about all lives matter? And then you'll tell them like, well, black people are, you know, we're, we're the ones in trouble right now. And I hate, let me just say this too. The people who use the house, the burning house argument, I'm not mad at you guys. 
I understand the argument. And it's, it's supposed to be something simple for them to understand. But so many people are starting to use the, the house on fire in the neighborhood argument. I refuse to use that argument. All right. I refuse. I don't think you'll ever hear me saying it. I might have said it in the past, but you'll never hear me say it again because I'm just kind of worn out from that one. That phrase. I believe in the cause. I want everybody to understand it, but I just I got to get a better analogy, a new phrase for it, a new analogy. So I will not use the house argument. But yeah, like I said, when black when we say black lives matter, it's like our lives are we feel like they're in danger. We we feel like we're endangered, endangered species almost, even though we're not. But that's kind of how it feels like when people are killing you with reckless abandon and there's no consequences. So when the people say, what about all lives matter? And then you tell them black lives matter. And then they start bringing up all the, the statistics of what about black on black crime? All right. So when we talk about Black Lives Matter, and this is this is the reason I want to talk about this, because I want to get straight to the point. When we talk about Black Lives Matter, it started as a response to police brutality. It didn't start because of black black on black crime. Uh, it didn't start because of regular white people killing black people. It started as a result of police brutality. And it, I'm going to tell you exactly when it started. It started in 2014, shortly after or actually during the whole Michael Brown protests that were going on that's when you started hearing the term black lives matter with deray and all of them that were out there nessa i think it was one of the, the pro one of the black lives matter people's names so they kind of just started saying it during that which if you don't know the story of michael brown uh he was an unarmed black man i think he was in his 20s or he's like 19 he was really young like he wasn't really grown grown but he was grown enough to where he was over 18 where he might've been right around that age. So he was killed by a white cop. And then that the story is so sketchy with it that the cops said Michael Brown attacked him. There was people on the street watching who said he didn't. And this is one of the ones where you wish that we had like some type of camera phone out or something. But unfortunately there's no video evidence. I think the only thing that we ever saw was after when they left his body on the street for like, 24 hours or something ridiculous like that. So it was such an uproar on how he died. Uh, they they try to paint him as a, a, a criminal and all that, like they do everybody. But that, that case to me was so iffy. And I know the people who are familiar with it, there's so much that you probably don't even realize. Like, cause I know when it first happened, I was like, why did he die? Like he didn't deserve to die. Right. And then they're like, well, he was being violent with the cop, which I'm like, nah, I don't believe it. But then they show this video of him in the convenience store where he pulls like the, the Indian dude at the register, he grabs him by the shirt and kind of like roughs him up a little bit like, hey, don't mess with me. Like it looks bad when they show it without context, without context, it looks really bad. So he does that and then he goes and steals something from the store and walks out without paying for it. So you're watching all that and you're like, wow, this is like a monster. This is like criminal. So then when you, when you see that in the way they paint that narrative and then they say he got into a fight with the cop, you're going to believe it because you saw all that first. Now, this is where it gets tricky because you know me, I do, I do digging on all these stories. I'm usually trying to like get both sides of everything. 
because I know it's going to be an attack on one side. So I try to know where they're coming from so I can, you know, state the case for the other side. So when I was researching a lot of stuff, I found something that was very, very interesting. And apparently the guy at the register that he grabbed by the collar and like roughed up, apparently he was buying drugs from that guy or he was selling drugs to him. It was one or the other. I can't remember the specifics, but there was drug transactions going on. That was the rumor. Uh, now, mind you, the police claim that they looked into it and they couldn't like substantiate it, that there was nothing true about it. But if you go back and you look at that video, you look at the way he grabs that dude and like roughs him up and looks mad about everything and just walks out. It doesn't make sense for somebody to just walk up and do that and then go steal something. Like you would just steal something. Why do you need to like, it didn't make sense the way they painted it. But when I hear the story about them do like having drug transactions and maybe something went bad or he, somebody, I think they said the guy owed him money. The, the guy at the register owed Michael Brown money. And that's why he did that and stole. So when I hear that part, I'm like, all right, he doesn't look as violent now as they made him seem like he's not just walking around randomly doing this to people. There was a reason for this. There's a cause and an effect. There's a reason why he did it. So now I'm looking at the police interaction with him and uh, the officer differently where I'm like, I don't know if, if, if that story's like they say now, I don't know if he was the aggressor in that situation. So that, that whole story was just, it was kind of like the Trayvon Martin one where we just didn't have enough concrete evidence like on the Trayvon Martin one, we, we know that George Zimmerman followed him and everything, but we didn't have the video evidence to support it. And I feel like in these cases, when you don't have the video evidence, that's how these cops end up getting off. Cause these juries are looking at black guys like we're like criminals already. So these cops are getting off. Well, in Zimmerman's case, he got off, which I still think he was guilty, but there was no video evidence. You heard the screams. And then when you watch the trial, they both have, these experts on their side saying that one was Zimmerman screaming. The other guy said it was Trayvon screaming. So it's just hard to come with the concrete proof without the video. And I think that's why we've been running into problems. But with George Floyd, we had video and that's why it was so overwhelming the, the response. So back to the Michael Brown case, that's basically where the black lives matter uh, movement started. It kind of started as a chant first, I believe where they were just kind of saying black lives matter and then it turned into an organization. And in the early stages of it, it kind of felt a little unorganized because we didn't really know who the leader was of Black Lives Matter. Like, DeRay was up there, Nessa. Like, and then now when I look at it, there's, like, some other people who are in charge that I don't even know. I don't even know who they are. But they're in leadership now. And it seems to be a little bit more organized than it was in the beginning, which, of course, you would expect because in the beginning, you're still trying to figure it out. But now they're getting, like, mad donations. I know John Cena just donated... A uh, million dollars, the BTS guys, I guess, uh, I think they're like an Asian boy band. They donated a million. Uh, everybody's been donating to Black Lives Matter, which seems to be the new thing now. Where if you want to show you care about change and social justice, you donate to Black Lives Matter, which I'm not mad at. I'm happy they're getting the donations. I would like to see it spread out a little bit between other organizations because I'm not sure if Black Lives Matter is spreading the money out. They could be. I don't want to accuse them of anything. I've seen some stuff on Twitter where people are like, where's the money going? Where's the money going? So I would like to get a little bit more transparency on what they're doing with that money. 
But I trust that they're doing the right thing. I do. Uh, so, yeah, when people say Black Lives Matter, like, why do you say Black Lives Matter? You tell them not because, well, yes, it's also because we have a lot of black, like, young black people being killed. But the main reason that it started was because of uh, the, the Ferguson case, which was a case of a police officer shooting an unarmed black male. And then over the years, we've had so many other of these cases like Walter Scott. Uh, we had Eric Garner getting choked out. I had to I had to pause and do some research because I was saying the wrong name. It was Laquan McDonald who was shot in the back by uh, Chicago police. So, yeah, you have all these instances of unarmed black men being killed by the police. And in most of these cases, the, the cops are being acquitted. They're not even like they'll get convicted or they'll get charged. I'm sorry. They get charged, but they're not getting convicted. And that's why we're saying Black Lives Matter is because these cops are being charged, but they're still getting to walk off, walk away with no, with no jail time or anything. So when people say Black Lives Matter, we're, we're, we're saying it because we feel like our lives do not matter when it comes to the killings by law enforcement or police brutality and any of that. And that's where it stemmed from. Now, of course, over the years, it's shifted into other things and we're, we're including other aspects into it. But when people specifically try to counter a black lives matter with an all lives matter. I'm, I'm asking them how many cops are getting acquitted when they kill a white person. Like how many of them, like, cause we know white people get killed by the police too, or there's police brutality with everybody. We know that, but how many times are they getting off? Cause it feels like in our case, they get off 99% of the time. I can't even, I think the guy who shot Walter Scott in South Carolina, I think he did jail time. Other than that, man, I don't know. I don't know how many other ones did jail time. Uh, and then you got this girl that just killed both them, both them, John, Amber Geiger. She's she was off duty, but she was still a police officer. And it looks like it looks like she's not doing much jail time. Like she probably should have got at least 20, 25 years. Some people wanted her to get life. She got like five years. Something like that, maybe seven at the most, but I think she got like five, which once she does, it will be even less with good behavior and all that. So that's, that's why we're saying black lives matter, man. It's not about, we're just trying to exclude anybody. Like, and this is another point I see people make where it's like, look, we're not saying only black lives matter. We're saying black lives matter, like black lives matter too. You know, maybe we should have put the two at the end T O O. Maybe we should, should have put that and then people would have got it. But, I just feel at this point, if people don't get Black Lives Matter or they want to fight you on it and debate you on it, I don't think they want to get it. I think they either don't want to get it or they, they just refuse to believe that this stuff is happening or they're just racist. And at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm probably calling you racist if you're not supporting Black Lives Matter. If you keep saying all lives matter, if you keep saying blue lives matter, I feel like you're just anti- Black Lives Matter. And that's another thing people need to realize. When you say this stuff, it's not that you're getting your point across. It comes off as you being anti our point. Because before there was a Black Lives Matter, there was no All Lives Matter. There was no Blue Lives Matter. Nobody ever said that stuff. That stuff was in direct response to black people saying Black Lives Matter. And with, with people feeling away without even taking time to listen to us or hear why we were saying it, we would be like, Black Lives Matter. And they'd be like, nope, All Lives Matter. Like, that would be the response. They didn't even say, oh, well, why, do you, why are you saying that? Like, what makes you say that? Why do you guys feel that way? Nobody would even care about that. It was just like a, 
oh, let's just get that idea out of here and let's say all lives matter just to be done with it. And now you're seeing it, man, with all these companies that are coming out and saying Black Lives Matter, where people are finally having to address it. Like everybody's been trying to avoid it, but no, it's in your face now. You got to address it. Uh, and do you, I wonder why people don't, well, I've said why they don't understand. I'm just wondering why people fight so hard to go against Black Lives Matter. Like, I think it might be racism, closet racism, but maybe they're just not educated. But after these last four or five weeks, how do you, how can you not be educated on this matter? Like, how are you not either seeing it on your Facebook? Because I know I explain this all the time. I'm breaking it down for people. I posted a video today about systemic racism. I'll probably do that one tomorrow. I'll add that in where maybe I'll play it. I don't know how it sounds without the actual video you, that you can see. But at this point, just people don't want to get it. And then now you got the company saying it, like NASCAR and Starbucks. And, and Starbucks said it. We had to we had to take them to we had to take them to task, man. Starbucks came out with the Black Lives Matter a couple weeks ago. No, was it a couple weeks ago? Yeah, pretty much after George Floyd died, everybody had to do their own little statements. They had to come out and let us know they're not racist. They stand them with us in support. So Starbucks did that. Starbucks came out pretty strong on the Black Lives Matter, but when the when the heat got hot, they kind of went out the kitchen. So they did that. And then after they do that, uh, a memo's leaked yesterday. There was a memo that was leaked where Starbucks basically told their employees, hey, you know, we're, we're cool with the Black Lives Matter, but uh, please don't wear any of that stuff to work. Like, we don't want to cause any problems with our guests. And luckily, one of these employees posted it. Like, they, they leaked it. And one of the employees called Starbucks out on uh, on. Twitter, I believe. So then Starbucks responded and they're like, well, you know, we're just doing this because we, uh, we don't want to get in the political stuff. But the argument against them was one, you're already into, into the political, even though it's not a political thing, it's a race thing. It's just a human decency thing. We just want our life to matter. We're not asking for you to vote for a candidate. So I think they backed themselves in a corner with that part, but also when they, when it was found out that they support like LGBTQ and they're like heavy in their support to the the point where they're giving t-shirts to their employees to wear for pride month. They give them pins to wear pretty much the same stuff. The black people wanted to do. They were, they were saying no to us, but they were letting the employees do it for the other one. So they got a lot of heat, man. Like people were coming from them left and right. And then finally today, Starbucks had to walk it back, not walk it out. They had to walk it back. So they come back today with a statement basically saying, look, we were wrong. We will let y'all wear the Black Lives Matter stuff. And we're going to print out shirts for you guys that say Black Lives Matter. And I, part of me thinks that's a branding thing where they're doing that so they can sell the merchandise. But I'm not mad at that. Because it's still, the message is still getting out there. So Starbucks seems like they've learned their lesson yet again. But I don't understand why they have to keep learning lessons. Like, how do you not know what this is? Why are they so tone deaf when it comes to some of this stuff? Even though they say, they say that they stand with us. But then when it comes time to stand, 
They don't. So I had like a rant on Facebook about that too, where it's like, yo, I'm tired of all these companies like half-assing this where you guys are saying black lives matter. But when it comes time for you to show it, you're like, well, we don't know, you know, don't do it at work. Just we're with you, but we're with you in the closet. Like, you know, they don't want to come out with it, even though you've already come out and said it. So whoever's mad at you, whoever hates you, whoever's going to boycott you is already going to do it because they know how you believe. So at that point, double down, double down, let people express themselves at work. Like I was in Waterford last week and I saw a sign on a building and they had the uh, Black Lives Matter outside their store. That's the type of stuff we need to see in this at this day and in this point where you guys have the signs out or you got something letting us know that you support the cause. Just saying it on Twitter and putting out a statement is not enough nowadays. We need more. We need action. We need you to show support and we need you to show support with your pockets. We need you to show support when it comes to donating to causes, uh, volunteer work. Perfect example. This is Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's has been going hard since like 2014, I believe, maybe even before that. But I know they were really vocal when Colin Kaepernick was protesting and they were tweeting Black Lives Matter back then. They were fighting this good cause and then they doubled down last week with like a scathing statement just saying we got to end white supremacy and all this. And I read an article today, man, that apparently Ben and Jerry's has an activism manager that helps them with social justice campaigns. Um, His name is Chris Miller and his job, his job is that he's basically just there to stand up for the, for the issues, you know, Um, you're required to have for their job posting for this. You're required to have uh, experience within the NGO charity, the NGO um, charity or grassroots movement building space. Um, And yeah, apparently they got this guy, Chris Miller, shout out to him. Sorry. I played two, two sound bites at the same time. I didn't mean to do that, but yeah, man, shout out to Chris Miller. Uh, I guess, yeah, his job is just to handle all the activism stuff, let them know when they're out of pocket on something probably. And he does all the social media stuff. He posts on their website, um, the blog posts about climate change and injustices and everything going on in the world. So I think a lot of companies should have an activism manager or somebody out that can just handle these issues. Like if Starbucks had not even though it doesn't have to be a person of color, but if they had somebody they could turn to and were like, yo, what do you think about this? Things would probably go more smoothly instead of just releasing memos, telling people how they're supposed to feel. Um, with that being said, I want to talk about Drew Brees for a little bit. So this is, it's kind of a little old now, but I still want to, I still want to bring it up. So Drew Brees, was wilding last week. I don't know if you guys saw it, but then he did an interview on Yahoo Finance, and they were, like, asking him, what has he learned from all of this? Like, does he agree now with Colin Kaepernick and what he what he protested? Um, is he with the cause now? And, of course, Drew jumps out the window and just starts making it about himself, talking about, I am never going to agree with the anthem. My grandfather was in the military and this and that. And then you got to have respect and blah, 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 which he didn't really even address the whole Colin. Like if he agreed with anything, he just kind of went off on a rant about how he felt. And they dragged him. They dragged him on social media for days. Like his teammates said, F you, we don't rock with you. Uh, they said, shut up. Like 
Greg LeBron called him out. And it got ugly, bro. It got ugly for Drew. I think Drew realized how bad it was and how much he messed up. So much like Starbucks, Drew had to walk it out. He had to walk it back, I mean. He had to walk it back. And then he said, through, through my ongoing conversations with friends, teammates, and leaders in the black community, I realize this is not an issue about the American flag. It has never been. We can no longer use the flag to turn people away or distract them from the real issues that face our black communities. We did this back in 2017, and regretfully, I brought it back with my comments this week. We must stop talking about the flag and shift our attention to real-life issues of systemic racial injustice, economic oppression, police brutality, and judicial and prison reform. He said we are at a critical juncture in our nation's history. If not now, then when? We as a white community need to listen and learn from the pain and suffering of our black communities. We must acknowledge the problems, identify the solutions, and then put this into action. The black community cannot do it alone. This will require all of us. So then, yeah, Drew did that. And I thought he was going to just, you know, fall back with that. I thought Drew was done. But then here comes Donald Trump. You know, whenever there's like a little fire, like not even a fire, like some smoke. Here comes Donald Trump with like the gasoline and the match to light that thing back up. So then Donald Trump comes back and he's like, I am a big fan of Drew Brees. I think he's done a truly, I think he's truly one of the greatest quarterbacks. But he should not have taken back his original stance on honoring our magnificent American flag. Oh, glory is to be reserved, cherished, and flown high. We should be standing up straight and tall, ideally with a salute or a hand on heart. There are other things you can protest, not our great American flag. No kneeling. He said it emphatically. The no kneeling part was uh, basically all caps. So then after that, you know, Drew, after he read that, was probably like, bruh, bruh, you're making the block hot right now. Like, calm down, Trump. You know, he probably texted him like, fall back, fam, fall back. So then basically Drew had to come out like, fuck Trump, that's for my woldies. Fuck Trump, that's for my woldies. Play it one more time for you. So he had to come back with that. So then Drew takes it to the gram and he adds Donald Trump and he says to at real Donald Trump through my ongoing conversations with friends, teammates, teammates and leaders in the black community. I realize this is not an issue about the American flag. It has never been. We can no longer use the flag to turn people away or distract them from the real issues that face our black communities. We did this back in 2017 and regretfully I brought it back with my comments this week. It was actually 2016. I don't know why you keep saying 2017, but. We must stop talking about the flag and shift our attention to the real issues of systemic racial injustice, economic oppression, and police brutality, and judicial and prison reform. We are at a critical juncture. Oh, that's the stuff he already said. So then he says, we as a white community need to listen and learn from the pain and suffering of our black communities. We must acknowledge the problems, identify the solutions, and then put this into action. The black community cannot do it alone. This requires all of us. So after that, yo, bro, he went from like Drew Brees to damn near Malcolm X overnight. I think personally, the PR team did a lot of the work, but I got to salute him for still speaking up and out against Donald Trump. Because if you've watched, like, if you've seen the pictures, there's pictures of him and Donald Trump from the NCAA uh, football championship game last year. And they're in the little skybox together hanging out. So that was his boy. Maybe it still is his boy. 
but he got to be like on the low with it. He can't. It's probably his boy in private, but he's not. He can't say it in public anymore. Like, he got to come out like, "Fuck Trump." That's for my woldies. Like that's pretty much what he got to be on from here on out because we're watching him. And the minute he slips up, he might not get a second chance. Like Starbucks, I think Starbucks is gonna get a second chance just because people love coffee. One, I don't think their coffee's that great, uh, but a lot of people do. Honestly, don't even like that you got to pay fifty cents extra for like flavor cream. I think that's ridiculous. The half and half is not enough. It's not enough to to make the coffee taste better. So I think they will get another chance just because the. Most people like coffee. Most people like football, too. But I don't know. If Drew messes up one more time with his history, it might be a wrap. It might be a wrap. And one one other person it should have been a wrap from was Jake Fromm, quarterback that used to be at Georgia. Now he's on the Bills. He's a rookie. Jake Fromm, man, he he played this so poorly. So apparently he was texting some girl, like, last year, and he was just saying all this, like, white power and all this crap. And one of the texts was like only elite whites should be able to own uh, AKs or AK-47s, AR-15s. I don't know. One of them guns. I'm not a gun guy, but he was saying they should be able to own the gun. And they went after him and it was bad, bro. They were like, wasn't it? Maria Taylor tore him up on ESPN. Everybody was tearing him up. Shannon Sharp has been tearing people up every day. So he got at him and Jake had to come out with an apology, too. Everybody's on an apology tour. Uh, Jake's apology was basically, I am sorry. Wait. I I am extremely sorry for that I chose to use the words elite white people in a group message conversation, a group text message conversation. Although I've never meant to imply that I am an elite white person, as stated in the later in the conversation, there's no excuse for that word choice and sentiment. While it was poor, my heart is not. Now, more than ever, is the time for support and togetherness, and I stand against racism 100%. I promise to commit myself to being a part of the solution in this country. I addressed my teammates and coaches in a team meeting today, and I hope they see this incident is not, rep- is not representative of the person I am. Again, I am truly sorry for my words and actions and humbly ask for forgiveness. All right, let's break this down. He said he implied like that he doesn't believe he is one of the elite white people that he implied in the text. I'm calling BS on that. Why the hell are you talking about elite white people? If you don't think you're elite, like, why do you think they should have guns? I'm pretty sure you have a gun. I'm pretty sure you have one of those ARs or AKs. So the fact that you're saying you didn't think you're not just cause you didn't call yourself elite white in the text. You damn sure believe it. There's no way you weren't talking about yourself in that. I don't believe that one bit. Now, this this one you could tell that whoever he had on his PR team was not as good as Drew Brees' PR. But Drew Brees has been in the NFL for like over 15 years. So at this point, yeah, Drew Brees should have the top of the line PR. Jake's PR team looks like it came from like a sophomore at the University of Georgia. He said, now more than ever is the time to support and – Togetherness, I stand against racism 100%. I don't believe that. I believe he felt how he really, what he said, I think he really felt that. In Drew's part, Drew never really said nothing racist. I think what Drew said, it was just more tone deaf. Like Drew came out, it was just talking about his grandfather, who he acted like was the only person in that war. And like his grandfather didn't fight alongside black people. 
who were still treated terribly when they got back to America. So that's probably why we cut Drew some slack. Drew just was uneducated, misinformed, and we were mad that Drew didn't get it because Drew knew about all these issues from 2016 when Colin first started kneeling. So Drew acted like he didn't know anything, and now he's like, oh, I know. But he didn't want to know before. Now, Jake, Jake just looked like this apology sound like he just wrote it just to get the attention off of him. He just wanted it to go away. That's kind of what this apology feels like to me. Like, all right, I'm going to say whatever I can to make it go away. I don't really see him saying much about, oh, he says he commits himself to being a part of the solution in this country. We'll see. We'll see. Like I said, he's in Buffalo. We saw those Buffalo cops were acting last week, so he's in the right city for what he feels. But Jake going to show us more. It's not a terrible apology, but it's not a good apology. It just feels very bland. It feels bland, like there's no seasoning in it. He needs to up this a little bit more, make it sound better. I'm not sure if I trust Jake to do that, but only time will tell. Um, let me see what else I got for you guys. So the riots and the looting have calmed down. It looks like it's almost, they're still protesting. Like, that has not really stopped. I've been seeing them out. Uh, Orlando is still, I believe, protesting. L.A., the West Coast, Seattle's, Seattle's going crazy, boy. Seattle's out there strong. Shout out to Seattle. Um, we had a protest in Titusville last week where I live. It's like, it's a small town, like 40,000 people. So I didn't really have high expectations for the protest. And I wasn't sure who was going to show up. But I went out there. And one of my other friends, uh, PJ, he was out there. So we go, we go out there. And it ended up being a pretty good turnout. They said it was like 350 people. I don't know. It felt like more, but maybe it's because I was around everybody. It just felt like I was around more people. But, yeah, they said it was like 350. So we we met up, and then we, we protested. We marched over this bridge we have, Max Brewer, and then we marched to uh, downtown to City Hall, which is maybe like a – we probably walked like two miles. So we did that, and then we're chanting, and we're doing all the – you know, everything you do in the protest. But I will say I was – Pleasantly surprised to see all of the different races out there. There was, there was a lot of black people out there. There was a lot of white people. Uh, it might have been more white than black. I'm not sure. Either it was more white than black or it was right around the same number. And then you had other races. Hispanics were out there. Um, Asian. I'm not sure if Asian was out there. They might have been. They might have been. But it was, a, it was a decent turnout for our city. And there's a lot of like racial problems in this city where people are still kind of racist so to see that type of support was good there was a, a local church who brought some people out and i'm actually going to go to their service tomorrow just because i was like all right this if, if this is how y'all rocking i can i can go check y'all out so i'm gonna go to their service tomorrow and coco which is like the next town over they did it even bigger than us coco had a protest that last saturday and they had like three thousand people out there i wish i would have been at that one but i'm happy i went to mine and in our city, people were, like, acting like it was going to be violent and looting and all this. And, I, and that's I feel like that's what you get when you see the media. You feel like everything is like that. And that's one of the dangers of getting of consuming all your, your information from the media. And that's why I tell people you need to have black friends. And if you don't have black friends, you need to have black people you can talk to. Maybe colleagues at work. But you need to have more interactions with black people. 
Because if you don't, what do you have to go off of when it comes to viewing us? You view us by what you see on TV. And I believe that's why a lot of people in this city thought that these pro- these protests were going to be so violent and we're going to be looting. And it's like, bro, you think, first of all, you think the police ain't going to be out there? Like, we're not, I don't think we could overtake the police in the city even if we wanted to, but I told somebody in this group page they have on Facebook, I was like, first of all, y'all been talking about this damn protest all week. You think the police don't know about this? Trust me, the police will be out there. Whether we told them or y'all told them, they'll be out there. And even if they don't, even if they don't know yet, they will because we're black and we're used to getting the police called on us. So at some point, the police will be called and they'll be out there. And luckily, the police were out there. You know, they were out there to make sure things went smoothly. And they were very respectful. I didn't see any problems with them. The only thing I saw the whole day was like after the protest, we were walking to our car. Some white guy in this big old pickup truck, older dude, was in his was standing out there looking at us and he had all these signs on his truck. He had a no lives matter sign. He had a all lives matter sign, which is contradicting, but some people don't realize that's like the same people who fly the Confederate flag and then have the American flag. And it's like, you guys tried to leave America. You fought to leave. So I don't understand why you're proud to be an American and you're proud of your history. Like what make pick one side, pick one side and choose it. So that guy was out there and you could tell he was out there to kind of like cause trouble and try to argue with people. But nobody paid him mind. Like, I walked by, put my fist up. You know, the black power just let him know, well, we out here, fam. Like, you ain't going to silence us. So we everybody pretty much just walked by and didn't pay him no mind. And it was a really uh, it was a really good protest, man. I feel like it was productive. I, and I, a lot of people brought their kids. That was another thing. Because I, you saw the protest over, I think it was Seattle or, like, Northern California or somewhere in Cali or is in somewhere in Washington last week where the girl got like sprayed with the tear gas. And it was like this image of her crying and they're pouring the milk and it was so sad. And then you got people who are like, why would you bring your kid to the protest? Like you shouldn't even have a kid out there. But I disagree with that because sometimes you want your kids to see this. You want to do something that's going to inspire them to be this type of person when they get older. So you're doing this to t- as a teaching moment. And I think that's why a lot of these people in Titusville had their kids at these pro- at the protest last week. And if it's a peaceful protest, you should be able to bring your kids out there. Nobody, nobody goes, well, not nobody. I would say most of the people who go to the protest go out there with the expectation that it's going to be peaceful and we're all going to be able to protest peacefully. We're going to be able to get our points heard and we're going to, maybe meet some more like-minded individuals. Like everybody's going out there for the same reasons. And you might have a few other people who go out there for the wrong reasons. And it turns it into what you see on the news. But I don't think it's wrong to bring your kids to the protest. I don't have a problem with that. I honestly, if I had a kid, I would probably have brought him last week just because I knew it was going to be a little safer. It was a smaller type of protest. Uh, even in Coco, when I saw pictures, they had their kids out there. So I disagree. I disagree with the bringing the kids. Maybe if you know where you're at, like Orlando, I probably maybe not would have brought kids to that one just because they were wilding in Orlando for the first few days. They calmed it down last weekend. I saw OPD reported uh, there was 10,000 people at the protest last Saturday in Orlando and there was zero arrests, which is a great thing. So you want to you want to think that when you go to that, you want to believe that it's a safe environment for you to do that. Um, while I'm talking about Orlando, too, thoughts and prayers are still with with everybody that was affected by Pulse, the Pulse nightclub shooting. 
uh, four years ago. I can't even believe it's been that long, man. Uh, moment of, uh, I guess, yeah, let's do a moment of silence uh, for everybody who lost their lives, the 49 people who lost their lives in that shooting. That was one of the deadliest shootings in this country. So uh, I'm going to do a quick moment of silence for everybody who lost their lives at on uh, that fateful day, June 12th, I believe. What's today's date? Everybody who died on June 12th, yes, 2016. So moment of silence. All right. I wanted to just, you no, know, I want to do something for, the, for them. I almost forgot to even mention that topic because I didn't write it down on my sheet. But it, I did think about it earlier today when I saw everybody talking about it and I wanted to get to that and talk about it. And that's one of those moments, man. If you live in, if you live in Orlando or central Florida, it's kind of like nine 11 in the, in the sense that you knew you remember where you were when you heard about it. You, everybody remembers that day vividly. Uh, for me, I was working in South Carolina at the time I was mapping streets in South Carolina in this small city called Georgetown, South Carolina. Uh, it's about an hour north of Charleston and about an hour south, maybe 30 minutes south of Myrtle Beach, kind of in between. So I was working there, and I remember waking up for work that morning, and I didn't, listen, I didn't look at my, I didn't, I don't think I checked the text on my phone early. I think I just worked normally. And then around, I stopped to get coffee. I remember everything about that day. I stopped to get coffee at a Circle K, probably around like 9 or 10 in the morning. And as I get my coffee, I'm like sitting in my car, reading, my, looking at my phone, because that's when I start catching up on everything. And I'm, I got like mad texts from friends, just like, are you okay? Are you all right? I just want to check. I'm worried. And I didn't know what they were talking about at first. So I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. Like, what is, what's going on? And then they finally told me what happened. And I couldn't even believe it, man, when I heard it. So I think after that, I was just trying to get as much news as I could. Like that day wasn't even normal for me after that. I was working, but I couldn't focus because you're driving. But all I could think about was I, I hope none of my friends were in there. I hope I didn't lose anybody. And I'm praying for the families that did lose people. Um, it was just such a heartbreaking day, man. And... I was I was in such a rush to finish work that day and get back to my hotel. And I, all I did was watch TV for like the rest of the night. I watched CNN and just try to get as much information as I could about the story. And then when you just start hearing more about what happened that night and how the gunman went in there and, and he kind of took everybody hostage. and 49 people were shot and killed. Um, people in the bathroom who were begging for their lives and that was a tough one, man. That was that was a day in in our history, especially if you live in Orlando, that you'll never forget. Never. Um, it's still unreal, like surreal to think about, like that something like that could happen in Orlando because we never really had any major tragedies like that, like mass. We've had shootings and stuff, but nothing to that level. I think at that time, that was the most people who had died in a mass shooting. 
Yeah, I believe so. And then, you know, in Vegas later, but we just had never had anything like that, man. And for that to hit the city out of nowhere, people were just, people were just stunned, man. And it did bring us together. I'll say that, you know, you had Orlando strong and it seemed like after that happened, nobody was talking about races and politics. Everybody was just kind of one. And we had some unity in the city for a while. It didn't last long because now, you know, everything's back to what it is now. But I will say for a few months, it felt like we were unified. Um, I, and it was kind of weird going out after that because I used to go to, you know, I'd go to clubs and bars. And after that, I was kind of scared to go out because I didn't feel safe anymore. And I had never been to Pulse. I have friends who have gone there. Um, they loved it. They said it was like one of those bars where everybody knew everybody, very intimate. I had one instance where I almost went there back in like 2009. And I was talking to this girl. and She had invited me out to Pulse to meet up with her. And I was going to go and meet up with her, but I was at another girl's house. That was when I was trying to be a player. So I was at another girl's house, so I kind of had to play it off. Like, I can't go tonight. I can't come out. And that was the probably the only time I ever had a chance to ever go in there. But when you're out of town, friends hear about Pulse nightclub shooting, they don't know much about it. So they're thinking, because they hear downtown Orlando, that it's where everybody's at. Everybody's partying in this one one place. And that's not kind of, that's really not how it is. If you're familiar with, with how Orlando's set up, and those who aren't, I'll, I'll educate you and school you on it a little bit. So our downtown is where all the clubs and the bars are. We have this street called Orange Avenue, which is like the main strip of downtown. Pretty much every club and bar, most of the nightlife is going to be either on Orange Avenue or on a side street that intersects with Orange Avenue. So that's where most of the people in Orlando will go out on the weekends to party. That's where me and my friends go. We go downtown Orange Ave, like usually like a Wall Street or another local bar, somewhere chill. And there's so many different options. So you can go to so many places. Now where Pulse is, Pulse is south of that area because we have downtown and then we have this new up and coming area called Soto, which is south downtown. So Pulse, Pulse is in south downtown, which is probably uh, two Two mile, two or three miles south of the area I'm talking about where everybody goes. So that area where Pulse is, is really just, it's Pulse. And I don't even know if there's any other, there might be one or two other small clubs near it or bars. But it's still not an, an area where most people go to party. So you have that, and it's so secluded to where it is. It's next to like a repair shop. and There's like a Dunkin' Donuts over there. And then another block, which would made it even crazier, is one block from Pulse, you have uh, the hospital. I believe it's Florida Hospital. And it's a big hospital. So thankfully, when you had that going on, there was probably so many people whose lives were saved because the hospital is literally a block from that where the Pulse nightclub was, and you were able to get people to that hospital quickly. So that's just to give you guys an idea of where it was. But you had people who were not from here who were texting all of us asking us if we're okay, where, you know, the locals who live here, we all know we were safe because we were pretty far away from it, or the people who were out that night are pretty far away from it. I wasn't even here, so I told people, you know, I'm in South Carolina, which thankfully I wasn't here because you never know. Like, maybe I could have ended up there again. You just never know, like, what night you're going to go somewhere and something could happen. Like, 
you could have been invited. And I'm sure there was many people who who went to Pulse that night, and that was their first time going, and that happened. So it's sad, man. It's it's really sad that something like that could happen, and that there's so much evil in this world where somebody would do something like that. I'm not even going to say the guy's name because he doesn't deserve it. And then you hear the stories about him possibly being gay and him struggling with his sexuality, even though he was married. It was just such a wild, insane backstory to everything where, you know, he was going and scouting out the spot, planning this. And, man, I don't don't really have much else to say about it other than to... um, Rest in peace to those we lost. Uh, I'm probably going to wrap this up, too, because I got to go to bed early, and I need to go eat, and I need to go watch the Dave Chappelle 846. So, like I said, I will come back. I'll come back tomorrow super early because I'm going to be up super early. So I'm going to do that, and I will uh, talk about some other stuff. But I think it is – I think it's only right that we end the show on that subject with uh, Pulse and just paying paying respects. If you guys know anybody who was affected by it, uh, reach out to them. I'm sure today is not an easy day for anybody, uh, especially the whole city, but those who are directly affected. Uh, reach out to all of them, man. Pray And, and pray. Uh, even if you're not like the super religious type, if you believe in something, if you believe in God, or higher power, just pray, man. Pray to them. Thank them for waking you up, and tell tell God that you have you know you want to pray for the families who are having a tough time cope, coping with all this today. Um, so I will leave. I will leave on. I want to play Mac Miller again. Uh, I don't even know if this. You know what? I was gonna play Mac Miller. But I'm gonna I'm gonna play something else. All right, so I thought about it. I'm gonna still play Mac Miller. I'm just not gonna play the song I had intended to play. But like Mac Miller is such a great artist. He has songs for like everything, so every moment. So I'm gonna play Remember by Mac Miller. And I will I will dedicate this to those who lost their lives in the Pulse nightclub shooting. Yeah. This is Keeping It Real with Jared Lawrence. I'll be back tomorrow. Proud of me, dude. I grew to be ingenuity influenced by your eulogy. Going through memories like they were movie scenes. I know I've been to shit. All these people full of me. I admit, I guess I'm full of myself too. There's just a bunch of shit I wish I could tell you, but this life moves fast. I never knew that yours wouldn't have blasted the dirt Hitting your casket like raindrops I swear I'll let you know when the pain stops For now I need to run to any place that the train stops And everybody wanna talk to me about some business shit Never really listening, couldn't get real interested My days get darker so the haze gets sparked up All this hate sound the same when my name get brought up You had a girl, I kinda wish you knocked her up so I could meet your son and talk you up.